and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. James Day here today recording live from the Focus on Pocus studios. Today, we have Dr. Dean Vallaki as our guest. Dean Vallaki, MBBS, RDMS, FRCP, graduated from the University of Queensland Medical School in Brisbane, Australia in 2011. He completed his emergency medicine residency training and Pocus specialty training at McMaster University in Hamilton, Canada in 2017. Vlahaki now practices at multiple sites in a network of academic trajectory care hospitals in Hamilton, Canada. He is also an assistant clinical professor with McMaster University and a major contributor to the Emergency Medicine Point of Care Ultrasound Fellowship Program at McMaster University. How are you today, Dean? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here with us. So uh, I just wanted to know, because a lot of it's changing now, but when you attended the University of Queensland Medical School in Australia, did they have an integrated POCUS program in their curriculum? Um, well, my exposure to point of care ultrasound was probably overall pretty limited in medical school. Um, knowing that I wanted to be an emergency physician and that I would complete ER rotations as electives in North America in order to gain a residency spot here, I used most of my time in Australia in the emergency department to do more rural emergency medicine where POCUS was limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, did my clinical rotations on a place called the Sunshine Coast, which is about an hour and a half north of Brisbane by car. It's really close to the big surfing mecca known as Noosa Heads, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty well known in the Pacific. Uh, so I got to do my medical school on the beach, basically. That must have been terrible, uh, man. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, I got to live in a house with um, an Australian and a few other Canadians, uh, and we had a blast. The the majority of my training there in the emergency department was spent in an even much smaller town called Gympie. And in terms of my focus exposure there, it was pretty limited. They were only really doing basic applications like fast examination and trauma. so it wasn't until coming back to North America where I really started to learn more about advanced applications that I use today. Wow, life on the beach. So are you a surfer or a snowboarder or skier or anything like that? Uh, my whole family, we really enjoy skiing. Uh, we pretended to surf, but really, I mean, you'd have 10-year-old kids uh, blasting <laughs> by you on the on the waves. So we, we just pretended. Yeah. Surfing's hard because you got to paddle through those waves. Much better to be on a ski lift to go up the mountain. Exactly. So uh, beyond focus cardiac for chest pain or uh, right upper quadrant scans for abdominal pain, what are the other most frequent focus scans you're seeing in your ERs? So as an emergency physician in Hamilton, like you mentioned, I work in a network of three hospitals plus two urgent care sites. We, as a family, have two small children at home. They're three and one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep my wife and I quite busy. So we had decided that I would do pretty much essentially night shifts only, uh, which I like quite a bit. In Canada, uh, and certainly locally here in Hamilton, we don't have access at all, essentially, to 
formal radiology ultrasound overnight unless you call the ultrasound tech in from home. So point of care ultrasound is really quite useful uh, for myself in that way. Generally, I'm using point of care ultrasound to do hemodynamic studies like cardiac lung and DVT. But really, the most common ones I do are uh, renal ultrasound for suspected renal colic, early pregnancy to diagnose intrauterine pregnancy and assess for ectopic pregnancy, and right upper quadrant scans to assess for cholecystitis. I do also uh, quite frequently uh, look for abdominal aortic aneurysms, but this would be all times a day and not just overnight. Mm-hmm. So uh, renal is pretty... Uh with kidney stones, uh, usually late at night like that? Yeah, we have a, a very large urology population here in Canada. It's actually one of the, or in Hamilton anyways, one of the largest uh, sites for urology, uh, I believe, interna- or nationally here uh, at St. Joseph's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a, a, a quite a large number of uh, renal colic patients of course, of course, kidney stones, they tend to come back too. So it's a very common presentation to our emergency departments. Can you tell us about the training at the fellowship program at McMaster's University, which is very famous uh, globally, McMaster's University? Yeah, it's sort of known as being one of the homes of uh, problem-based learning. And uh, it sort of got its name that way. It's also fairly well known for research, um, just in general and evidence-based medicine, as some of the the founders of evidence-based medicine threw a name for themselves here. Our fellowship program uh, is really called a Royal College Area of Focused Competence, to be most accurate, but it's easier to just call it a fellowship. It's certainly one of the most robust in the country and probably in North America, I would think. It's a a one-year-long learning experience based at St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton, and we generally take two fellows per year. There's a really heavy clinical component because, as I was mentioning earlier, they're in the department when we don't have access to radiology ultrasounds. So usually, it's evening and, and nights mostly. Basically, their their role is to uh, perform point of care ultrasounds when ordered uh, by the treating physician, just like any other test or imaging uh, or medication order. They, over the course of the year, have to complete a minimum number of scans in each category, such as cardiac. DVT, soft tissue, abdomen, and so on. Mm-hmm. And they also complete quite a broad uh, spectrum of advanced applications like scrotal ultrasound, head and neck, and ocular, among other things. We archive all of our images and studies in a cloud-based software so that these fellows can review with any of the ultrasound staff, either remotely from home or from a different hospital. So typically, these fellows complete over 2,000 scans annually. And I completed the fellowship here uh, approximately three years ago, which is how I landed my job of staff here now. Um, Certainly, I think the program is a real benefit to our patients because we essentially have a physician who's a senior resident in the hospital uh, dedicated to performing point-of-care ultrasounds, uh, you know, only for that reason. That's that's why they're there. Um, So I think it's a really successful program. And we do actually... Uh, allow applicants from all locations. So if anyone's interested, look us up. <laughs> you know, when did you get your RDMS? How long ago was that? Uh, that was right at the end of the Point of Care Ultrasound Fellowship. Mm-hmm. We uh, originally, uh, the goal was to build to that certification. But more recently, the Royal College of Physicians in Canada has recognized the area of fo- focus competence as being a certification in itself. So we'll see if the 
fellows still continue to obtain that. Yeah. Uh, all right. How about two questions? Uh, I'm going to we'll play a game here. We'll, two questions here for uh, some of the pearls, pitfalls, and the more controversial pocus topics. So <laughs> I don't want to ambush you here, but here you go. So what is the best anatomical approach for ultrasound needle-guided pericardial synthesis? This is a good question, actually. Uh, I completed one of the only handful of these that I've done mm -hmm. uh, just a couple of weeks ago in a patient with a lung cancer and a new malignant pericardial effusion with a pretty impressive uh, tamponade. Wow. Uh, I completed it with an ICU colleague of mine who also does emergency medicine who happened to be in the department at the time, his name is Dr. Julian Owen, who's oh. quite, uh, quite good with point of care ultrasound himself. Um, honestly, it's a bit of a hedge answer, but it's really the best uh, window you have uh, to see that big pocket of fluid. Generally, for me, I think this is a parasternal approach. Mm -hmm. And typically, the, the best way to do this is to, I think, is to landmark the parasternal area with the largest fluid pocket and have a second set of hands to look from the subcostal location so you can have real-time needle guidance and see the needle go into the pericardium. Of course, you always want to do a bubble study with agitated saline to confirm you're in the pericardium, and you definitely don't want to injure or puncture a cardiac chamber. Right. I kind of remember the old school where they'd hook uh, an EKG up, and they look for, oops, maybe I, I hit the myocardium and there'd be an ST elevation. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, <laughs> that, I've, I've definitely seen that uh, done before in the ICU. Uh, we have quite a large uh, post-cardiac surgery ICU at our site as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's certainly, if you can see the needle, I think that's a, a much better approach. Way better, way better. Um, how about evaluation for right ventricular function on point of care ultrasound? that helps us decide whether or not to thrombolize a patient, let's say, with the submassive pulmonary embolism. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is another great question. Locally, we're very fortunate to have a really internationally renowned thrombosis subspecialty program. Oh, wow. Locally, we, yeah, locally we produce quite a large amount of uh, uh, very prominent research that is... Uh, they're considered to be sort of thought leaders in the field. Uh, certainly, I don't do any of that specifically, but we have on-call 24 hours a day a thrombosis specialist that can help guide us with these kind of decision-making uh, issues. That's excellent. Yeah, generally here, I find they are very conservative with thrombolysis mm -hmm. as a whole and prefer to treat with things like low molecular weight heparins as a bridge to catheter-based thrombolysis or thrombectomy later by interventional radiology. Having said that, I have definitely thrombolized uh, a handful of patients in the last year to two years. Generally, they're too unwell to, to go for definitive imaging uh, and are too unstable to wait for any further therapy. Uh, luckily for me, the, the times that it has been uh, performed, they've been successful. And, you know, particularly, I find this to be, uh, you know, successful in patients who are pregnant and also exposing them and their fetus to the radiation associated with CT scan would potentially lead to further harm. You know, point of care ultrasound is great from this perspective because you can make the diagnosis at the bedside and also monitor her response to therapy uh, with regards to RV strain right at the bedside. Wow. Okay. I, I can't stump you, man. Those are all very good. 
How about if I throw another one out here? Sure. Before we go here, um, how does uh, point-of-care ultrasound for a pneumothorax compared to uh, chest X-ray and CT? So uh, X-ray and CT are good if the pneumothorax is there. Well, it should go back. Uh, X-ray is good if the pneumothorax is there and visualized. Uh-huh. But it's not, a, it's not a good rule-out test, particularly in our trauma patients that come in on backboard and are laying supine. Um, so ultrasound is a much better test in this regard and has better diagnostic parameters for sure. I guess the question is, if you don't see a pneumothorax on chest X-ray, is it large enough to be significant anyhow, or could it wait till definitive imaging later? Certainly patients that are unstable might benefit from a bedside thoracostomy uh, to decompress the pneumothorax. And there has been a couple of cases in the last year where I have done that and it has made a big difference. All right, Dean, listen, um, all good stuff, man. And listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here on today's show. I also want to thank the audience for listening. And don't forget for even more POCUS talk, you can follow us on Twitter at POCUS Academy and on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy. Dr. Velaki, it was an honor to have you today on our podcast, and I thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. All right, then. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, Focus on Pocus. Be sure to tune in with us next week for more interviews with thought leaders that are on the forefront of global point-of-care ultrasound. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intellios. This podcast is for information purposes only.